If you come here for a whole year, my goal is that in a year, you will have heard teaching from the Old Testament, you will have heard teaching from the New Testament, and you will have heard teaching from the life of Christ. So every year as I look at messages, and and I have a list of what I've preached over the years, and so I'm at the point now where after 24 years, I'm, I'm starting to go through and go, okay, what have you missed? You know, what have we not preached on in 20 some odd years? And so if, you're, if you've been here the last year or so, you know, we're getting into some of the odd books now that you don't hear preached often. And this morning is no different. We're going to start a series today um, on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we've been in Ecclesiastes, which I know wasn't a big book that most of you knew a lot about. And I'm sure that when we get to 1 Thessalonians, that's not a book where you go, yay, I know a lot about that book. But I'm hoping in the course of the next couple of weeks and months, that we will learn about this little book that is a very important book that has a lot to say. So when I get to the first message on a book that we don't know a lot about, I have two options. I cover a whole lot of background, and then I talk about it. Or I just talk about the background. And this morning, I've chosen to just try to keep it short and just talk about the background. So we're only going to look at three verses today. That's it. But uh, I think we'll, we'll pack that full for, for us. So <clears throat> let me tell you something, a little bit about this book that we're going to be looking at. Um, Thessalonians was written to a group of believers in a little town called, not a little town, but a town called Thessalonica. And Paul wrote two books to them. We're going to be looking at the first book. Um, Thessalonica was a city that Paul visited on his second missionary journey. So um, guys, throw that slide up on the, the picture one with the, the, yeah, there you go. Okay, so this is Paul's second missionary journey, okay? They, they take, and if you remember, he's had his first missionary journey, and um, they, they had a problem there. Uh, he and Barnabas took a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark left halfway through. When they got ready to take their second missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, Paul, I want to take John Mark, I want to take John Mark again, and... Um, he went, I don't think so. He abandoned us the first time. I'm not, I'm not rolling the dice on him a second time. And there was a big brouhaha <clears throat> between Paul and Barnabas, and it's recorded in the book of Acts. And ultimately what they decided was, the compromise was, Paul said, look, I'll take a guy by the name of Silas, or Silvanus, and you take uh, John Mark. And so they went their separate ways on their two journeys. Now later it all worked out. but when they, So they went their separate ways. So Paul... Um, starts out, and they go to a little place called Derby, and then Lystra, and then Iconium, and Antioch, and then they make it over to Troas, and Neapolis, and then they go to Philippi. Now, <clears throat> you know Philippi from the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. A couple of things happened when Paul was right here in Philippi. A gal by the name of Lydia comes to Christ, and she gets saved. She was the seller of purple. And if you'll remember, they get thrown into jail. And the Philippian jailer gets saved. And they come out of jail. And when they come out of jail, the next place they go is to this little place called Thessalonica. It's a little seaport. It's not a little seaport town. I keep saying that. Um, it's, a, it's a town of 200,000 people. So about two and a half times the size of Sioux City. Okay? Uh, it's, Paul was not here very long. Probably no more than about three weeks. <clears throat> but while he's here, um, a number of things happen. Um, 
So what happens is he's in Thessalonica, and then what's going to happen is he's going to go to a little town of Berea. Uh, maybe you'll remember the passage where it says, and the Bereans searched the word of God diligently and, and all that. Okay, that's this little town. Then he goes to Athens or Corinth, where 1 Corinthians was, was uh, written to the church at Corinth. This is where Paul does the whole Mars Hill thing. Okay, So that's kind of the, that's kind of the deal. Now, here's, what, here's what's interesting about this, all right? This little town, or little town, this, this town right here of Thessalonica, see how it sits right there in that little deal? Um, that became really important because that became a huge seaport town. In, in so much that Rome decided, you know what? We could bank all of our ships right here, and then if there's any problems, we've got access to all this. They had a deal down here, but... Now they go, you know what, we can take off this way and this way and this way and this way, and we can protect all of this area, so let's put a major military seaport deal right there at Thessalonica. Now, that's important, and here's why. If it's a military seaport town, how tight do you think security was when it comes to threats against Rome? So you see... It's kind of like, you know, my wife, um, we go to, um, uh, when we visit her folks in Virginia Beach, uh, one of the places that we go is just down from the SEALs training base. And uh, one of the, and, and they have a lot of military uh, stuff there along the coast there in Norfolk. Uh, last time we were there, uh, last, last time we went down there, my, my brother-in-law has a boat, so he takes us out, and we went by to look at um, all of the military stuff. And if you stay out in the water long enough, they send little people in boats out to tell you, not little, not little people, but people with boats with big guns on them, uh, to tell you that you have to move on. And so we stayed there long enough, and of course me, you know, I got my camera going, oh, these are cool pictures, you know. Well, they got a little spotlight telescope thing looking at you up there, you know, and Jimmy and Josh, who are both military, are going, let's just get out of here, let's just get out of here. Well, Jeff's company is actually building one of the docks. So we were parked out there, and he's explaining to us, you know, and we're waving to the people that he knows, and, and, and he's on the phone talking to them and stuff. And I know those guys are just like, you know. And so we saw the boat starting to pull out, and we thought, Jeff goes, it's time to leave now. Uh, so we pull out of there. But that's kind of the idea, okay? That's the idea is that military presence is very, very important, very, very structured there. So what happens is, ultimately, Paul's going to go to Berea and then Athens. And what happens here is in Corinth, Paul is going to write back to the church at Thessalonica. Now, that's unique because most of the letters of Paul are written after he's visited them. There's some time that passes. But this is a short amount of time where Paul was like, he was just there. It's kind of like the thank you note for when you visited somebody. And you go, hey, look, you know, we had a great time a couple weeks ago there. and no, We really enjoyed it. It's that kind of letter. All right, so th- that's important for us to, to know. What happens is Paul and them get to Thessalonica, and as is their custom, what they would do is they would go into this synagogue and they would start preaching because Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. That meant he was a big Hayu muckamuck in the Jewish world. Um, uh, Silvanus, Silas, who was with him, uh, Jewish leader, prominent Jewish leader, um, all the way back in Antioch. Word of him. It would be the same as if, okay, let's say we're sitting here in church this morning, and we're all pulling in a parking lot, and we're all walking in the door, and in walks uh, Billy Graham or Franklin Graham. Now, 
at some point, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, hey, we're fortunate to have them. Would you pray? Hey, do you want to come up and talk about your ministry? you want to come up and talk about what God's doing in your organization? We would do that, right? That's the same way it would happen then. All of a sudden, you're in the synagogue, and you go, hey, we got a guy here who studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was like one of the grand Hayu makamaks of the Jewish world. And they say, hey, 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 Paul, you want to come over and talk? And you say, sure. And then now, can you imagine? Can you imagine Franklin Graham or Billy Graham coming up here and going, hey, folks, love, glad to be here this morning. Here's what God's doing in our life. And here, let me tell you this. You know all this stuff that you're doing? It's wrong. And you need to go do this now. And then as a pastor, you're going, how do I undo all of this? Because uh, I just gave this guy the platform. Well, that, that's, the, that's the dilemma. Because Paul comes in and he starts talking about the Moses, and they're going, yay, and, they're, and, and, they're, and the law, and they're going, yay, and the sacrificial system, he goes, yay, and then he goes, and Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it all. You need to be following him, not the law anymore. Ooh. And here's what happened. Some of the Jewish people who put all the pieces together goes, he's right. And so after the synagogue service, they're all talking to Paul and they're saying, you know, you're right. We want to follow you. Tell us more. And some of the Gentiles who were there are going, what? You mean we don't have to be circumcised and we don't have to do all this stuff and we don't have to do all this stuff that they're telling us to do? Hey, can we talk to you more this week? And so the next thing you know, Paul and these guys are meeting with people during the week. And before you know it, people in the synagogue are not showing up for synagogue anymore. They're over meeting, probably in Jason's house with Paul. And they're having their meetings. And the next thing you know, the Jewish leaders are getting together going, we got a problem. We lost a bunch of our people because they're following him now. So here's a question. If you're a Jewish leader and a new guy has come into town and you want to get rid of him, how do you do that? Here's how they did it. They said, you know what? He's teaching against Rome. He's teaching that Caesar's not God. He's teaching that there's another God and it's not Caesar. He's committing treason. To which, in a military town, you do what? Ooh, we're going to go arrest him because we don't mess with that here. That's a big threat here. We're getting him out of here. And they arrest him. And a guy by the name of Jason ends up bailing him out, bailing the guys out. They end up letting them leave Thessalonica because that was a great way to deal with this stuff. It's like, will you leave and never come back? Yep, we will. Okay, you're gone. And so they head then to Berea and then ultimately down to Athens in, in Corinth. And that was the start. Here's how long it took from Paul to get in town, to get kicked out of town. Depending on who you read, probably an average, the average ends up being about three weeks. It took him less than a month to find himself from preaching in the synagogue to being in jail. Uh, because what he was teaching did not go over well with the Jewish leaders. And by the way, this was the routine in town. He had just come from Philippi. What had happened in Philippi? Same thing. They ended up in jail. So, and that's going to become important when we, when we talk about how this thing applies. So, let's go to chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first three, three, three verses of it. 
Um, what happens is this book is written from Athens, and Paul, Timothy comes over and gives them an update, and Paul writes this book. So here's what he said. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Uh, let's stop there. Paul means little, uh, probably because that was maybe a nickname or that he was small in stature. Uh, it's interesting, he does not call himself an apostle, like he does in most of the books. Or he does not call himself a servant, like he did in the book of Philippians. A lot of people believe because at this point, uh, this is short. This is a short time after he's just been there. He doesn't need to prove who he is. They know who he is. So he calls himself Paul or, or Little, Silvanus. Uh, uh, Silas is, is really another, name, is another one of his names. He was a Jewish leader. And Timothy, Timothy's a young guy. The book First and Second Timothy was written to Timothy. He was a young guy who followed Paul, who ended up helping pastor some churches. And um, the interesting thing about Timothy is Timothy's mom is Jew. Timothy's dad is a Gentile. So we have a combined mixed religious background family. So between these two, they cover a lot, these three, they cover a lot of bases. But he said the three of us, and then this is interesting, to the church of the Thessalonians in God. Now, I know we skip over a lot of this stuff, but this is important, and here's why. Most of the other New Testament books don't talk about a church this way. They say the church in God at Corinth. This says the church of the Thessalonians in God. Because what he wants to do right off the bat is he wants to remind these people, and this becomes important, who they are, where they're from. This is a group of Jewish believers and Gentile believers who have now gotten together and they're following God. And Paul says, look, you're the church of the Thessalonians and you guys, you're in God. Don't forget that because this was something that was going to happen. These people were facing a tremendous amount of persecution and they were standing strong in it. And Paul's trying to encourage them. And one of the ways he starts off right off the bat is to say, don't forget where you're from. You are in God. You are in Christ. Take a quick rabbit trail. This will help you if you can remember who you are. See, kids, you need to remember that whatever you do reflects on your family's name. You've got to remember who you are. You've got to remember where you're from. It will help you as a believer to remember who you are in Christ. So when you're sitting there going, hey, has God, God abandoned me? Is God still there? What, 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 I'm his child. God doesn't abandon his children. He has literally, the scripture says, we read it as he's put me in the palm of his hand. Literally, the idea of the text is I've become his hand. It's that concept of I've become in him, part of him. He's not going to abandon me. And, 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 and Paul reminds him, he goes, because what was happening is Rome was giving a hard time. The Jewish synagogue were giving him a hard time. They were facing a lot of persecution because they had made this shift to follow God. And Paul right off the bat says, remember, you're the church of Thessalonica in God. And then he goes on. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father reminding them of his power. Lord Jesus Christ reminding them of his relationship. And then notice what he says, grace to you and peace. Uh, this is, we see this a lot in the, in the, in the Scripture, but uh, in the, particularly in the New Testament books, but grace is a, is, a, is a Greek concept. 
That's how you greeted people. And, you know, it's like if you go to Hawaii, what is it everybody says to each other? Huh? Aloha. Isn't there another thing? Mala. Mahalo is thank you. Is what? Thank you. Mahalo. Oh, mahalo. Okay. Aloha. Everybody says aloha. Okay. Um, here's the idea. The idea is, back in that day, the Greek people greeted each other with grace. The Hebrew people greeted each other with shalom or peace. So Paul right away throws these together and says, look, you guys are now in Christ. You guys are all together as one. It's not a a Jew-Greek thing, but grace and peace to you all. Right at the bat, reminding them that they're in God, reminding them that they're in Christ, reminding them that God the Father is in there, in the middle of this whole thing, and reminding them that they are together, and that becomes very important to them. And then he goes on. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. He said, the one thing that we do every day, constantly, every time we pray, is we give God thanks for you. And we have not forgotten you. We pray for you all the time. And then he goes on and he says this, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Actually, you see in this next verse, in verse 3, the outline for the rest of the book. Without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Past, present, and future. Here's what Paul said. He said, we remember without ceasing your work of faith. We remember what you have done, how you guys came to Christ. We remember what God's done in your life. We constantly focus on that. Your labor of love, what you're doing right now as a church. How you're taking care of one another. And and each, as we get further in the book, each each section is going to develop this. So the first idea is they're going to talk about, and, and next week we'll get into this, they're going to talk about this idea of your work of faith, what these people have been doing. And then your labor of love, what they were doing right now. And then Paul said, look, and you need to understand, now this is going to give you a hope for the future. Because Paul has to address a whole bunch of things that are happening within this church. And so you start to see that. Uh, one of the things that he's going to talk about is this idea of, he said, there's some positive and, and there's some negative things that are happening within you guys. And he said, you know, so the idea is, on, on a positive note, he said, he's going to tell us, he said, you guys are standing strong in the Lord. They were so encouraged because these people weren't going to turn their backs on it. And Paul said, you know, that, 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 that's a great thing. And then he's going to talk a lot about, and if you'll think about it for a minute, the end of this book talks about the Lord's return. At the last trump, the trump of the Lord shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's First Thessalonians chapter 5, because Paul wants to give these people hope in spite of difficult time. And then he's going to do all kinds of stuff. They're, you know, they're slandering Paul, and he's going, to, he's going to talk about that. They're having some trouble with leadership and, 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 and how to follow people and all that, um, and ministry. And he, he's going to help clear up some of that kind of stuff. So a, a couple of things and takeaways for us, and, and, and here's where... With all the background, here's, here's the thing I want you to wrestle with a little bit this morning. Here's the idea. Put yourself in the mind of the Apostle Paul. Okay? You've just come out of Jerusalem. There's been a big fight about the idea of, do I take Barnabas with me or not? Do we take John Mark? All that kind of thing. And Paul basically comes to this conclusion. I know God wants us to go this way. And Barnabas says, well, I know God wants me to go this way. And, and so they part their ways. Early end of the journey, 
you find yourself in jail. So you get out of that one, and you think, okay, maybe that was just a fluke. The next town that you go to, within three weeks, you're in jail again. Now, here's my question. At what point do you step back and go, maybe I need to change my direction here? Because this isn't going well. Every time I try to do something for God, every time we try to tell people about Christ, we get thrown in prison. Instead of having a nice long ministry in any of these towns, our ministry is cut short, we're thrown out of town, and we've got to go to the next place. Maybe God's not on our side in this thing. Maybe we've gone the wrong way. Maybe I should have linked up with Barnabas. Maybe I should have done all of this stuff. Paul could have played those games. Because often he would have been struggling with the same thing we're struggling with. When I'm trying to do good, why do bad things happen? We learned this in Ecclesiastes. It doesn't mean that you stop doing the good things. You know, bad things happen to good people. That's part of the learning process. And here's my, here's my frustration with, with some of you is that I sit back as a pastor and I look at where you were and I see where you are and when I talk to you, you're frustrated because you forget this and you're discouraged because you're not here. Whereas I sit there and go, I'm thrilled you're here. you got to wait. That will come. But now is not the time for that. And that's what, I mean, Paul could have very easily struggled with this idea of how come I'm trying to do what's right and it's, and it's not paying off. And here's what I would say. Most of you are like me. You're getting ready to plant your vegetables or you've already put them in. And hopefully you, got, you dodged the frost thing. But can you imagine me every morning? I haven't put my tomatoes in yet. I'm going to do it this week. Can, but can you imagine me putting my tomatoes in today, tomorrow, whatever, this week? And every morning I get up and go outside and say, no tomatoes. And I come out the next day and I go, no tomatoes. And I come out the next day and no tomatoes. And then I come to church in a month and I say, you need to know, for 30 days I've been watering them, I've been weeding them, I've been taking care of them, and there's no tomatoes. I want my tomatoes. And then I get up the next day and I go and there's no tomatoes. Why? Because we understand that when we plant something, we do the best we can to take care of it, but it is not an instantaneous process. We're we're trying to plant a lot of uh, perennials now in our house because I just don't want to keep planting stuff every year. So, And here's the one thing. So I I got some perennials from Greg. And here's the thing. They're, They're like this high. And it would have been really easy for me to say, okay, since they're only this big, let's plant like 10 of them really close together and see what's going to happen. But you know what I had to do with every one of those perennials? I had to pull out the little tag that came with it, and it says, space this far apart because they're going to grow this high, and they're going to grow, and they're going to grow this wide. So can you imagine, because one of the perennials I put in grows a, like 18 inches high, and it gets to like 2 feet wide. Can you imagine if I would have gone in and went boop, 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 right next to each other? No, 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 why? Because I know that's what it's talking about when they get to full maturity. So I plant now, and I wait now based on full maturity. 
It's no different with the Christian law. Some of you are in a process where you're starting to do what's right, and you've done it, and you're wanting the result, and you're wanting the result, and you're wanting... It will come. That's what this book is about. That's what Paul's going to tell these people. It will come. Just wait. Keep doing what you're doing. That's why he says later in another passage, or another book, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. If you don't quit doing what's right, it will pay off. You know, my wife and I years ago decided we wanted to pay our house off early. And so we started on a project where every year we try to add a little more to the, um, oh, what, what is it? Principle of the house. And so we have a target date. And we know that if we add $25 more a month each year, that this, our target date keeps moving and stuff like that. It's really easy for me to look at the number and go, it ain't going down much. You know? It's only another $300 a year, but it ain't making it. But here's what I'm starting to see. I've done it long enough now. I'm starting to see that the payoff date of when my mortgage was going to be paid off. And now, now it's starting to move. And it's a long process to get there for us. But it's a process where it's little by little by little by little. But it'll come. It'll come. And it would have been very easy for Paul to throw in the towel after Thessalonica and go, I'm over. I think that's why he was so excited when he got to Berea and the people were like just eating it all up and they weren't facing the kind of stuff they were facing in Thessalonica. And he's like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And I just want to encourage you because some of you kids, I see this with kids all the time. They say, I don't understand why school is so important. I don't understand why school is so important. I don't understand why school is so important. Here's why. Look. Don't get mad at me, Leo. You will probably never use algebra in your life. Right? Some of that, yeah, everybody's going, yeah, see now, I got all the math people to take off. You will use it once in a while, like once every 10 years. No, uh, you, you will use it more than you think. But here's the thing it's not about algebra, it's about learning how to take something that's difficult, figuring out, figuring out the study process, and mastering it. That's what it's about. It's about learning to discipline your time. It's about learning to do stuff you don't like. It's all of those character issues. It's not the subject that you're bored out of your mind with. It's the process. And that's the same process that you're going to have when you get a job and a boss comes to you and throws something at you that you have no clue about. All of those skills that you learned in that class are the skills you're going to need to master what that boss has just thrown into your lap. That's what it's about. And everybody's like, well, I don't understand. If I, because, again, we're in a culture where if I don't use it right away, it's not, it doesn't have any value. No, it does have value. It does have value. Oh, we're just jumping through a bunch of hoops. Yes, and you know what you're going to learn when you get into the work world? There are lots of hoops. And you know what? A majority of them don't make sense. But it doesn't matter. You have to learn to jump through the hoops. And, and, and I just want to challenge you. But you know what? If you learn to do that now, it gets easier down the line because you've laid a path out and it, it, ha- it reaps its dividends down the line. And I want to encourage you because, look, some of you, you're like, like I say, you were here and now you're here and you're frustrated because you're not there. Get excited. You're here. You're not there. That's where you were. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that. 
And I, I, I just I want to encourage you with it because Paul here really, really, really could have thrown in the towel, but he doesn't. And then notice what he says at the beginning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God. He reminds these people that, look, your Christian journey involves a lot of people. Paul said, it wasn't the idea that Paul came there and did this. No, 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 a team came there and did this. And he reminds them that we're all together in Christ. Jews, Greeks, look, grace to you guys and peace to you guys. We're all in this thing together. And i got to remind you that as a church, we're all in this thing together. When one of us goes through a tough time, a group of people come alongside who, preferably, people who have had experience, people who understand, and people who have walked that road for you, and they can say, you know what, this is what I've learned. I've learned that, you know, there's some things here that you can do, you know, that here's, here's some things that help me. Because they have walked that journey before. And the goal is for us to encourage one another and help each other as we, as we do that. Some of you are going through tough times at work or tough times with, with marriage or kids or whatever else. That's why I love the idea of us just helping everybody with the kids. Because that's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. And then the last thing is just this idea where he talks about, he says, I, I thank God for you all making mention of you in our prayers. I think sometimes we forget this, but you need to realize you are where you are today because there are people that invested in your life along the way. Don't forget them. You know, you need to understand, if you have been blessed by the, my, our ministry here, and my, my family's ministry here, okay, you need to understand, that's not about me. That's because when I was a teenager, a guy, a teacher by the name of Roger Bice invested in my life. It's because a teacher in my senior year in high school by the name of Pat Quinn hammered into my head, stop trying to live for everybody else, you be you. You be the best you you can be. Be yourself. Don't be anybody else. And don't settle for being anybody else. And he hammered it. He was the first guy that introduced to me the idea that Christianity, that Christians could have fun. He did. Because we go to church on Sunday, and you know what he would do? We'd meet in the afternoon to play football. A pickup tackle football game. And I was like, you mean Christians do this? Christians have fun? You've got to be kidding me. Got to college, there was a guy by the name of Don Ryerson. Don Ryerson had a tremendous impact on my life. Don was a speech teacher, one of the coolest speech teachers I've ever had. We call him the man with the golden touch because whatever Don did, everybody on campus was talking about the next day. When Don did a Vesper service, when Don did a, 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 a Shakespeare production, everybody talked about it because Don had the ability, and he drilled this into our heads. Um, if you're going to stand up and people are going to give you your, their time, then you had better be, do the best job you can do. You practice like your life depends on it. You give it everything you've got. And if you're not giving it everything you've got, then you don't deserve to be up there. And he drilled that into our heads. And I was fortunate enough to have him as a... As a as he was our, our, we were on a drama team that traveled for six months, a whole semester of school, and uh, performed every day. 
Uh, we took one day off, but sometimes we'd perform twice a day, every day for almost, uh, well, a whole semester of school. So Ju- June or January till May. Different church every day. But he had drilled that into us about you do the absolute best you can if people are giving you their time. And then I was fortunate I had a guy in college in, in my master's program, a guy by the name of Ron Rushing. Ron Rushing was a military guy. EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal guy. Got saved. Those kind of guys take God seriously. And uh, after he, in the military, he came to know Christ. Went back, got his doctorate in Bible. He was a big navigator guy, which means this. Ron Rushing memorized a verse a day. I was fortunate enough to have him as a college professor when he was in his 50s or so. He had memorized entire books of the Bible. And we'd ask him a question, and he could recall it like that. And he, he taught me the idea of, we have this incredible gift in the Word of God. Know it, master it, love it, make it part of your life. And he used to drill in our heads. Again, I'll never forget. He used to say, God doesn't want fat heads. Now, this is a guy who's memorized books of the Bible. He said, God doesn't want fat heads. God wants soft hearts. If you memorize it and don't apply it, you're wasting your time. And he drilled into me the idea of make it real and live it. Don't just know it. You know who one of his great, some of you who have been in Christianity for a while, you know who his professor was? God by the name of Howard Hendricks. Why? Because you see, we are here today because people invested in our lives. You benefit from my ministry because of the people behind me. Those people had people behind them and people behind them. You have no idea where you are in the line of people that have been impacted here. But for some of you, like me, you're able to look back and look at what certain people did and certain people taught you. Appreciate them, value them, treasure them, thank God for them. And be that kind of person that can pass it on to somebody else. Because that's what you're going to see with these Thessalonians. That's what they do. And they become a big part of of Paul's ministry as well. And I just want to challenge you because I think sometimes we forget that we have a lot to be grateful for. And we are where we are today because people invest in our lives. So pay it forward and go invest in somebody else's and make a difference. So I end up with this. Paul encourages us during difficult times to stay faithful in spite of the circumstances in this situation. God desires to use ordinary people who are committed to faithfully following him. He reminds us to be grateful for the people God has put in our lives. Because we are rich for it. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes it's easy to focus on where we are in our journey because we're we're in a culture that wants so much more. And Lord, help us to be realistic about where we are and to, to not lose hope, but to continue to stretch forward and do the right things. And, um, Lord, for those here who have come so far, Lord, I I ask this week that you just help them to understand how much you've already done. And that, Lord, you would encourage them to just keep plugging away. And then in time, Lord, it'll pay off. That that harvest is coming, but it, it just takes a while to get here. And, Lord, 
may you use us together to focus on working together as a church to be focused on your love for, for, for us and others in this community and that you'd use us in a great way here, Lord. And Lord, thanks. Thanks for the people that impacted us. And uh, Lord, may we this week invest in the lives of people that you have put in our paths as well. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand and we're going to sing the first verse of Only Trust Him.